The economy is crumbling, they say it's had its day. The workers are all rumbling, revolution's on the way. But I could never be a Marxist, it goes against the grain. And before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You see, come up to Port Newell, he went with Danny Baker. See you silly disco songs and really melody maker. I'm seeing that a dunker. Welcome to Radical, a podcast about the radical aspects of politics, music and football. I'm your host, Kas Mudde. My guest today is Lisa Zanotti. Lisa is an associate researcher at the Research Institute for Social Sciences of Diego Portales University in Santiago de Chile. Lisa finished her PhD on populist polarization in Italian politics, an assessment from a Latin American analytical perspective, in 2019, shared between Leiden University and Diego Portales. She has written articles on the Great Recession and populism and is co-author with José Rama, Stuart J. Turnbull Dugarte and Andres Santana of the new book Vox, The Rise of the Spanish Populist Radical Right, which will be out with Routledge this summer and which will be the topic of this podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Thanks, Gas. Thank you for having me. So we'll start with the usuals. What was the first sports team you ever supported? So the first sports team I supported was Kievo Verona, which is, I'd say, a small soccer team in Verona, where I was born. So Verona has two soccer teams. One is the historical one, it's Elas Verona, which is pretty famous. And the other one is Kievo. And it made the news, actually, in the early 2000s, because they made the Champions League preliminaries. And Hellas is uh, notorious for its far-right support, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, they are. Okay, so second, what is your favorite political song? So my favorite political song is an Italian song. It's called Generale, it's general in English. And it's from one of the most famous Italian songwriters, Francesco De Gregori. And it was released in the 70s, and it's about troops going home from the war. So I like this song because it has a really strong connection with one of my favorite books, uh, which is Ernest Hemingway's A Farewell to Arms. So did you now already answer the, the third question, what your favorite political book is? Actually, I'm going to go with a book I read last year, which I really enjoyed. It's called There, There by Tommy Orange, who is a Native American writer. And the book is a novel, but it's composed by different stories of Native Americans living in the Oakland area. And the stories deal with the struggles of the characters in finding like their own identity as natives and fight for authenticity in the American society that tends to see them as stereotypes. I really enjoyed the book. It's a little gem, I think. <laughs> awesome. So why did an Italian living in Chile decide to co-author a book on the far right in Spain? This is actually a very good question. Many people ask me. So one of my co-authors is a really good friend of mine, and we have some projects together, and he knew about my dissertation being on populism and me working mainly on the radical right. So he thought I could be a good addition to the team. So here I am. So give us a quick history of Vox. When was it founded? Who are its key leaders? Vox was founded in 2013 and competed for the first time a few months after that, which was in the European election of May 2014. And in that occasion, it just got 1.5% of the vote and didn't gain any seat in European legislature. And then again, it competed in 2015 and 16, but still remained marginal at the national level, obtaining just, if I'm not mistaken, it was 0.2%. It really was in the occasion of uh, 2018 Andalusian election where party support increased suddenly and the party obtained almost 11% of the vote. 
And it was mainly a consequence of the events related to the Catalan pro-independence movement that gained salience in 2017. So then in the November 2019 snap election, Vox became the third largest party in the system, gaining more or less 15% of the vote. So with respect to its leaders, the first thing it's important to mention is that there are not in any way outsiders. Its main founders came from the popular parties, which is is the main right-wing part in the system, mm-hmm. or from think tanks, which are very close to the popular party. So we have the president, who is Santiago Pascal, who belonged to the PP youth wing, and in 2006 founded the right-wing think tank, DENAES, which is in Spanish is Fundación para la Defensa de la Nación Española. And then we have the spokesman, very active on social networks, on social media, Ivan Espinosa de los Montero, who was before ex-secretary of the DENAES. And we have Javier Ortega Smith, who was close to the DENAES. So it's kind of a, almost like PP think tank that became a political party. Yeah, and the book we made pretty clear that Vox is a sort of popular party spin-off. Right. Now, what is the ideology of Vox? Is it a typical populist radical right party combining nativism, authoritarianism and populism, or does it have some specific foci? In the book, we classify Vox as a populist radical right party, right? Because it shares with this party family the ideologies you mentioned, nativism, authoritarianism, and populism. However, I'd say he has some peculiarities. I'm going to point out two of them. First of all, they put a strong emphasis on the defense of the national way of life and the exaltation of being Spanish. So they appeal to the pride of citizens, of Spanish people, to patriotism and nationalism. And they do that under the assumption that national culture is something that is homogeneous, right? And this is extremely relevant in the case of Spain, just because Spain is a high decentralized country, and it's divided in these comunidades autónomas, which are like basically regions, autonomous communities. And these regions feature distinct cultural traits that in most cases overlap with Spanish cultural tradition and identity. And some of these regions... We can think of Catalonia or the Basque country. A significant percentage of citizens identifies only with the region and not with the Spanish identity. Mm-hmm. So in this discourse, Vox contraposes the national values to these particular forces, as they call them, that allegedly aim at destroying Spanish identity. And the other peculiarity has to do with the defense of the traditional values. The defense of the traditional values contemplates, for example, the maintenance and stability of traditional family values and support of role of religious institution in society, right? In the case of Vox, we could observe that it's pretty evident that they go against, they attack constantly feminist organizations. For example, in their manifesto, there is a part, it's called Life and Family. And here the party proposes, and I quote, the suppression of subsidized radical feminist organization and, and I quote again, effective prosecution of false allegation in case of domestic violence. So I think these two homogeneous national identity and moral values are the peculiarities of Vox. Right. Now, Spanish nationalism and emphasis on Spanish national identity, as well as on traditional values, 
obviously also overlap with the popular party, as well as with conservative forces within the Catholic Church. And one of the things that is often mentioned in right-wing politics in Spain is the role of Orthodox Catholics, in particular a group like Opus Dei. Are there connections between Vox and the Catholic Church, both clergy, but also groups like Opus Dei? I don't know about the Catholic Church in particular, but I think the debate in Spain is the relationship of Vox with the past in general and the strongholds of the dictatorship, right? Right. And so we in the book wanted to like address this issue because this also has to do with the relationship between the far right and democracy in those countries that have recently recent authoritarian past. What happened with that? So we dedicated the book, our whole chapter, to this issue analyzing from the point of view of the discourse of the party, but also voters. Right. And I wanted to go there because for a long time, the Spanish far right was small, very fractured, but many of them had connections to phalangism, the far right ideology of the dictatorship. In what way is there a relationship between Vox and phalangism or the support base of the former dictatorship? I think that analyzing the discourse of Vox leaders, we found that even if party leaders do not explicitly endorse the Francoist regime, they somehow present a sort of romanticized and nostalgic image that's sympathetic to Spain's pre-democratic regime. And they had made like constant allusions, for example, to a better past or more glorious times in Spain's history. And also discursively, they made references to like La España Viva, the living Spain, in opposition to the anti-Spain, La España Muerta, or La Anti-España, the anti-Spain. And this is present both in the electoral manifesto and in the public speeches and in social media. For example, the manifesto for the November 2019 election is called 100 Measures for the Living Spain. So they constantly like recalling themes of the dictatorial past, but without explicitly endorsing. And on the other hand, we looked at Vox voters and their attitude toward democracy. And we found basically two things. That those voters with anti-democratic sentiments constitutes more than 25% of voters in the SNAP election of November 2019. And then we want to see the effect of regime support upon the probability to vote for Vox. And we find that those that consider that the political regime is indifferent or that sometimes an authoritarian regime is necessary, were the most likely to vote for Vox. And this is different finding in respect to what scholars have found for the other populist radical right, at least in Western Europe. Six years ago, my friend and co-author and your mentor, Cristobal Rovira Kaltwasser, together with Sonia Alonso, still declared Spain and I quote, no country for the populist radical right. Was he or were they wrong or did something fundamentally change? So I think that for sure something changed. And I think that the main reason Vox gained relevant electoral support was the convergence between the two main parties the Popular Party and the Social Democratic PSOE on the um, territorial cleavage. It is true that Vox is sort of spin-off, a radicalization of the Popular Party. 
However, we cannot forget that before 2018, Vox was an irrelevant party. Mm -hmm. And the reason behind its rise are to find in the, the structural opportunity that were available for this populist challenger at the right time. And this right time was 2017 and the Catalonian issue. So the territorial conflict with Catalan nationalists who reconverted at basically secessionists intensified and reached higher levels with the referendum called in October of 2017. So there was a suppression of regional autonomy in Catalonia for several months in application of the Spanish constitution. Mm -hmm. And many Catalan independentist leaders faced judicial charges. Some of them actually fled and others stood trial. But this was the main factor that allowed Vox to construct its electoral success and even more that anti-immigration attitudes. At the beginning, it was the Catalonian issue and it was the quest for recentralization and the fight to combat subnational statehood, basically. Right. And I guess they also profited from the large corruption scandal that the popular party was involved in at that point in time. And that brings me to the relationship between Vox and the other right-wing parties in Spain. Most importantly, the conservative Partido Popular and the more newcomer. And you can classify that party ideologically, the citizens or Ciudadanos. Can you say a little bit more about that? So we have said that Vox is a spin-off of the, the mainstream right-wing party, right? And at that respect, the relationship, I think we can divide this relationship with the mainstream right in two moments. First of all, we need to say that the mainstream right has not adopted a strategy of cordon sanitaire against Vox. In fact, there was a, a formation of coalition governments between the PP and Ciudadanos, for example, in Andalusia, with external support of Vox in January 2019. And the Andalusian model was replicated in Murcia and in the community of Madrid. So this consolidated, on the one hand, the figure of Vox as potential external support of right-wing minority cabinets at the regional level. However, a new chapter of the relationship between the radical and the mainstream right began when, in the occasion of the non-confidence vote at the end of October last year. The no-confidence vote was proposed by Vox. It failed as it was expected to, but it was proposed by Vox because of the allegedly mishandling of the pandemics by the government, which is formed by the Social Democratic of the PSOE and Unida Podemos, the populist left-wing party. And so we need to remember that at this point, Spain had the most cases in Western Europe and was into, still is into a heavy recession, economic recession. So at this point, the right wing needed to decide whether to stand with Vox or no, basically. So the main conservative opposition party decided to rubbish the Vox motion and also in a very famous speech in Spanish parliament, the leader of Pepe, Casado criticized Vox for anti-European rhetoric during this debate. So it's instrumental on the one hand, but after the no-confidence vote, I think that the mainstream right took a little bit of distance from Vox. But at the same time, Spanish politics is kind of block politics, right? It's predominantly the left working together and the right working together, and then often with regionalist parties to uphold the majority. 
But given that the regionalist parties have radicalized, particularly in Catalonia, one would expect that particularly right-wing parties, PP and the citizens, are even more dependent upon Vox support if they ever want to make a coalition again. In that sense, I would imagine that Vox still holds pretty decent cards. Now, Vox is the third new party, the third upstart in Spanish politics in the 21st century. In what way is it similar and in what way is it different, in particular from Podemos, the new left-wing populist party? Do they have similar electorates? Do they perform similar functions within Spanish politics? I'm going to start with the similarities, which, in my opinion, is just one similarity. I think for both parties, Vox and Unidad Podemos, populism is a sort of residual ideological feature. On the one hand, Podemos, since Errejón left for mass peace, I think it took with him most of the populist ideology. I think that nowadays, with also the fact that they are in government, they lost most of the populist discourse and they are more classic left-wing, radical left party. And on the other hand, with a Vox, in which both nativism and authoritarianism are way more relevant than the populist factor. In terms of voters, we don't have actually data in terms of populist attitudes of the voters. But in terms of social demographics, we found that Vox voters are likely to be male, young, and with an income that is above average and with an education which is like medium-level education. Well, on the other hand, from other studies, we learned that Podemos combines variety of left-wing electorate in which we find anti-mainstream protest, young voting, but also educated group with unfulfilled expectations. Obviously, in terms of ideology, voters are completely the opposite. And in terms of the function they perform in the system, I think it's a really interesting question because I do think that both parties polarize obviously the system that, as you mentioned before, it worked like two-party system with a center-left and a center-right parties. But I think they polarize the party system both ideologically, because obviously they are more radical of the mainstream parties, but also Vox polarized the, party, the Spanish party system in an effective way, in the sense that it produces the bodies in relevant part of the electorate. In what way do you speak here about antibodies? I mean, we know that there are a relevant part of the Spanish electorate that identify negatively with Vox. They would never vote for Vox. They think that people that vote for Vox are morally bad. So I think it generates uh, some sort of rejection in a relevant part of the electorate. Right. And maybe it's just because I'm old and because I come from another part which has had the radical right for a long time. But we have seen this in almost every country. I remember looking in 80s and 90s at polls of the percentages of people who pretty much hate Le Pen and Front National in France and said they would never vote for it. But over the decades, you see that group become smaller and smaller and smaller, right? And even in countries that actually have a significant group of the population that are very outspokenly anti-far right, you still see very broad political elites very happily collaborating either openly or stealthily with the radical right. Yeah, I think this has to do in the case of Vox with the fact that it's a relatively young party. 
And to the fact that he owns the issue of nationalism in the sense of suppression of regional autonomies. And we saw in the book and the analysis we did that this is the main issue for the people that are voting for Vox, even more than anti-immigration sentiments or law and order. There are still very important issues, but I think the primary issue for Vox voters is the autonomic problem. Now, you know that one of the things I always like to link radical politics to is music and sports. Are there any prominent supporters or opponents in music, in Spanish music or sports of Vox? So I think in terms of the far right in general, there are, especially in soccer, right? Like more radical soccer supporters, the ultras. There are some sectors linked to the far right in general. We know about the Ultrasur, which are like Real Madrid supporters. Mm -hmm. But with respect to Vox specifically, we saw that last year there was a pretty harsh debate on social media as a consequence of a polemic tweet by Aston Villa's goalkeeper, Pepe Reina, who expressed his support for the driving protest, which was organized by Vox against the state of emergency. So I think that this is the most relevant moment in which, uh, first of all, a public personality expresses support for the party, and it generated a pretty harsh debate on Twitter. In the book, you also mentioned that going forward, Vox could be a continuing problem for the Partido Popular in particular, uh, an important challenger. What is that? I mean, we know that quite a lot of radical right parties actually don't survive very long. Do you think Vox could be different? And why is it in particular a threat to the PP? My take on that is that Vox is going to survive. And I'm saying that because, first of all, as we say before, their leaders are not newcomers. They have some sort of experience. They came from established party. They know how to do politics in some way. And the other thing is that Vox is not a personal party. And so destiny is not linked in any way to the survival of its leader. There is a very developed elite in the party, and they are all very involved in the decisional process. So I don't see that Vox is going to disappear anytime soon. And with regard to why they are a threat going forward to the Partido Popular? I think in the book you speak about the fact that Partido Popular has a pretty old electorate, whereas Vox attracts kind of the right wing from, let's say, 45 and lower. Yeah, I think this is an aspect. And also, I think that the Partido Popular is like playing a role that it's not clear to its own electorate. I mean, with the leadership of Casado, they radicalized, but they also want to keep distance from Vox. So I don't know if the electorate is going to keep up with this. And there is obviously the issue about the young voters that Vox seems more able to mobilize. So finally, what is the greatest misunderstanding about Vox and perhaps the far right in Spain? I think it's something that I have mentioned before, and it has to do with the chances of survival of Vox, actually, which is a new party, but the founders and the current leaders are experienced politicians. And I think that, yes, new parties are always struggling to survive. It's more difficult for them to keep being electorally relevant. But I think that this organizational component is going to be fundamental and this is decisive for Vox to survive. Okay, thank you very much for coming on the show, Lisa. Thank you for having me.
If you want to know more about Lisa Zanotti, you can follow her on Twitter at, at Lisa Zanotti PhD and her co-authored new book, Vox, The Rise of the Spanish Populist Radical Right, will be out with Routledge this summer. Thank you for listening to Radical. The music is from the Gonads, with the classic song Karl Marx supported Millwall. I want to thank Jack Fernandez for helping me with the editing, and I'm your host, Kas Mudde. If you liked the episode, please subscribe to Radical on your podcast platform of choice, and don't forget to rate us. Till the next time. The economy is crumbling, they say it's had its day. The workers are all rumbling, revolution's on the way, but I could never be a Marxist, it goes against the grain. And before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You see, come up to Paul Newell, he went with Danny Baker. See you silly disco songs and really melody maker. I'm seeing that a dunker, playing with his beard. No wonder that that's capital turned out a little weird.